0: Well, maybe some of you saw this uh, social media post that was kind of circulating around yesterday. Check it out on the screen here. It was sent to me by a couple of friends. You should be as excited about church as about the Super Bowl. So when your pastor makes a point this Sunday, pour a Gatorade over his head. What do you think about that one, huh? You like that one? Yeah, I don't think so. I I didn't think... In Indianapolis, we're really excited on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, two, two things, when, when it's Super Bowl Sunday, when we're in the game, when the Colts are in it, I mean, it's unbelievable, right? It's an amazing atmosphere. And when the Patriots aren't, <laughs> right? We're equally excited today, and we're all gonna be getting together later, right, as friends, family, watching the game together and eating. One member of the congregation told me before service the average person is going to eat 6,000 calories during the Super Bowl game tonight. I felt really good about that. I got a shot for an LB or two tonight. That's what I'm feeling like. I got a shot at it. So, And we're all cheering for 18 to get another ring, and it's going to be an amazing game, which got me thinking about, let's just say, imagine for me, with me for a moment, let's say we handpicked 106 of you right now. Some of you already are dressed accordingly. 106 of you to be two different football teams, 53 on an active roster. So you got hand Let's say we, we sent you out in the atrium. We had an atrium filled with NFL-sanctioned gear. You had the pads, the shoulders, the jerseys, the helmets, the cleats, the whole nine yards. And we strapped you, and we got 53 of you with Broncos uniforms, and we got 53 of you with Panthers uniforms, and it had the gold trim with the Super Bowl 50 logo on it and everything. I mean, you were decked out to the nines, and let's say we, we even drafted our own Dennis Barrow to slide on the jersey with 18 on it. Okay, and it had Barrow across the back, 18. And let's say we all jogged you out to the south lot out there, and we had Carl stripe out the south lot, and it had 100 yards, and it had all the, mar- looks like a football field, and we had some bleachers set up out there, and let's say we dropped out there, and Dennis kind of got the Broncos all together, and doing the warm-up drill, let's say Dennis got up there, and he even had the, the feel of, he, he even used Omaha, Omaha, and he had the, the hand motion, Omaha, Omaha, he had the the foot pump going, and let's say he had the whole deal going, and let's just imagine that for a, minute, for a minute. And let's think, do you think if we called Jim Nance and Phil Sims, do you think they'd be interested in, like, providing color commentary to our game? Do you think if we, like, advertise that to the community, we could get $1,750 a ticket? That's tonight's game. $750 face value ticket. Or do you think if we contacted Pepsi and said, hey, we got a $3.1 million mortgage here, 30 seconds of advertisement during this game, would you just write the mortgage off for us? (laughs) Do you think any of that would work? No matter how hard we tried, the best 106 of you, even if we put all of those uniforms on you and paraded you out there, it would look far short than an actual football game Why? Well, baseline talent would be one reason, (laughs) for sure. Age would be another reason, for sure. But do we realize tonight, for about four hours on our television screens, we're going to watch 100 plus men go out on that field and play a game, and they're going to have their bodies do things where you're going to stop the DVR player and go, wait, did you see that? Did you see that catch? Did you see that run? Did you see that block? And you're gonna be saying some of those things. Do you realize that what we witnessed tonight for four hours on the field is a result of a lifestyle that has been cultivated off the field? Do you realize that the men that are going out there tonight have given virtually their whole life? It is the result of hundreds and thousands of hours of film study and practice and walk through and weight training and watching their diet and all those things. All you gotta do is ask any of them who hang out around here. Ask Justin, ask Hunter, ask Art, ask Kobe, ask any of these guys around here. The result of all, of all of the stuff off the field that's put on full display for the four hours on the field. Do you know the same holds true for the Christian life? 1 Corinthians 9 I don't know if the Apostle Paul had the Super Bowl in mind, but it sure sounds like it to me. 1 Corinthians 9.25, on your notes up here on the screen too, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. Hunter's commentary. Hunt, I remember. Do you remember the, the standing on the plane on the way back? Where are you at, Hunt? There you go. Do you remember? We were standing on the plane on the way back from the Super Bowl, and None of us had slept. It was a fun night, great night. We were all talking and we are just standing there and I'm, you remember what you said to me? You go, so that's it, huh? <laughs> that's it. They were on the intercom going, here's your parade celebration that's gonna happen downtown and you're gonna go and get all, remember that, Justin, get all of our winter gear on and we're gonna parade out. And Do you remember, I think we're on the same float together. Do you remember when we went by, it was with Vinatari and you and Justin. We, were on, we went by the, the Hooters restaurant on the float in the parade, and I look like a Pillsbury dough boy because it was like two degrees out, and they had put so many layers of clothing on me so I wouldn't literally freeze up. And so I'm hanging out with all these big, good-looking men, and this one Hooters young lady runs out to the float. It's coming. You remember this, don't you? This Hooters young lady runs out from the restaurant, and she grabs my hand in the midst of all these other hands she could have grabbed. She grabs my hand. She gets down like this. She says, will you marry me? (laughs) True story. Ask these guys. Vinatieri is standing right here, and Adam says to her, young lady, you just proposed to the chaplain. (laughs) Remember Oh, the memories. <laughs> Lord, how did we end up there? I don't know how I got there from 1 Corinthians 9 to Hooters, but here we are. We're coming back. <laughs> they're going to get a crown that will not last. The point is, like Hunter said, where are all these rings now? Well, they're probably in some display case, collecting a little bit of dust here and there, show it to some relatives when they come by. But what does Paul say? But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So Paul says... We train our soul like an athlete trains their body. You train the soul like an athlete trains the body. I want you to think about that tonight when you gather for Super Bowl. And you look at the chiseled physiques that run out on the field, and you think of the hundreds and thousands of hours of training that's gone into the display. And think, this is what God says it's like when you follow me. Because we've been talking about for several weeks Jesus' way of soul care we put it under the banner of shalom life the wholeness the integrated life the way things are supposed to be that there is a kind of life available to any who want to choose to embrace it and enter into it where you can live life with a really really good shepherd who is loving and strong and gracious and wise that your life can be placed in the yoke of Jesus, and he can teach you how to live, because everybody's going to have to learn to live from somebody, and the invitation of the Christian life is you can learn how to live from Jesus. How amazing is this invitation? And this is this shalom life, and when you come and you get yoked up to Jesus, you're going to find out he's interested in caring for your whole being, your will, your mind, your body, and your soul, the integrated life, and he comes alongside you says, hey, do you realize that you can't put your life back together on your own? Anybody been on that track for a while? How's, as Dr. Phil's words, how, how's that working out? You try to put things back together in your own wisdom and strength, you'll quickly find yourself at the end of yourself. I'm not big enough, strong enough, smart enough to figure out how to live shalom life on my own. So the top of the triangle on your notes is intended to represent Jesus' way for soul care. The Holy Spirit of God, life comes from beyond us into us to bring what? That stream of living water that the soul is desperately longing for. The neediness of the soul is to a degree that only an infinite God can quench The depth of that soul, the spirit of the living God comes, and he comes to live inside you, and then he invites you into the location of your spiritual formation is your current everyday life. One of the great temptations of the spiritual life is for you to actually think, if I was just someone else, or if I had circumstances unlike my own, I would somehow be a completely different spiritual person. Do you know that's a That's a completely wrong view of how Jesus looks at the spiritual life. He says he takes you with your actual ordinary life right where you are. You can only live your life with God right now in your present everyday life. That was the bottom left-hand part of the triangle, including dark night of the soul seasons like we talked about last week. Where even in the toughest of times, your present moments with God is where your formation gets worked out. So Holy Spirit, everyday life, and then the quadrant we're looking at today is spiritual practices. Because when you get yoked up to Jesus and you start living your everyday life, do you quickly discover what I've discovered? My responses aren't nearly as Christ-like as I'd like them to be. I'd like to have a more Christ-like attitude more often then I do. I'd like to think Christ's thoughts more often. I'd like to respond as Jesus would respond more often. I'd like to behave as Jesus would behave. And to expect, hear this now, to expect us to respond as Jesus would respond in the moment without any training involved is like expecting Dennis Barrow to roll out on the field tonight and play quarterback like Peyton Manning. That doesn't work. You could try really, really hard, it's not gonna work because it's about a lifestyle of training you enter into that provides in the hands of the Spirit of God a transformation of the inward parts of your life so that you begin to respond more freely and easily as Jesus would respond. This is how Dallas put, I think I put this quote in your notes for you. Here's what Dallas said. Those who say we cannot truly follow Christ turn out to be correct in a sense. Ha, follow that. Turn out to be correct. We cannot behave on the spot as he did and taught if in the rest of our time we live as everybody else does. You follow that? If you live as everybody else does, you're going to respond as everybody else is responding, which is not like how Christ is responding. So follow this. The on the spot episodes are not the place where we can, even by the grace of God, redirect un like but ingrained tendencies of action towards sudden Christ-likeness. Our efforts to take control at that moment will fail so uniformly and ingloriously that the whole project of following Christ will appear ridiculous to the watching world. For some of you, that's a commentary on your experience either with the church or perhaps some close people around you who've adopted the title Christian with their name but whose lives look far from what Jesus intended a life to look like. Could it be that there's been a hijacking of a lifestyle adoption under the banner of, well, I pray to prayer and I'm going to heaven when I die? I got that part taken care of and then I'm just gonna whatever for the next 40, 50, 60, 70 years That's not the invitation of the Christian life. I don't know what that is. That's some other gospel. That's not Jesus' gospel. Jesus' gospel says you can have an eternal kind of life right now. Right now. Your eternal life doesn't start when you die. Your eternal life starts when you come to know him, when that spirit of living God, the stream of living water comes to live within you and resurrects you to life. Your eternal kind of life starts right now, right then. And then your journey becomes, as we're going to look at today, it's the integration of our character that keeps in step with our identity. That's the journey called discipleship or spiritual formation. And central to that is the role of spiritual practices, kind of the spiritual workout plan for the soul. And the goal today is to get the concept of spiritual practices rightly placed in our view of the Christian life. And we're going to do that with Colossians 3. So open up your Bibles to Colossians 3 or pull out the note sheet there. I put several of the things on there for you. So context for the book of Colossians and why I chose this passage is that Paul never made it to Colossae as far as we know. The church in Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey, was started by one of his young disciples, Epaphras. Epaphras started the church started building some disciples in the church, and then he went and visited Paul in Rome, and Epaphras gave Paul a report about the condition of the believers and the local church in Colossae. But Paul never physically got there as far as we know. So he sat down and he wrote a more thorough description of this spiritual formation process of life in Christ than any of his other letters. Why? Because he wasn't physically with them. Do you see so many of the other letters? He'd go to Ephesus and he'd talk and he'd meet with the people in Ephesus and then he'd write them a little bit later. It wasn't as comprehensive as Colossians because Colossians is like, hey, he's never been there. He hasn't physically sat with those leaders, so he's a little more thorough in unpacking some of this process and that's why Colossians 3 is so central to it. So we'll look at Colossians 3 here under the banner of what's Paul say about spiritual practices. Verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So here's Paul's way of saying what you behold affects who you become. What you behold affects who you become. So if you behold money and bottom line and numbers, if you behold that for long periods of time, what affects your character is you become an increasingly greedy person. If you behold like achievement and accomplishment, if you're just preoccupied with the next rung of the ladder or the next star or medal or what a ring or whatever, if that occupies a place in your life where you're beholding that, you become an increasingly driven and controlling person. What you behold affects who you become. And as we've discussed before, the freedom of what you do with your thoughts is the greatest freedom you exercise in your life. You have more freedom around what you're thinking about than anything else, which is a great window into our character. Where your minds are when you really aren't pressed to think about anything, do you know that reveals a lot about what matters most to you? Where do your thoughts drift when you don't have anything directly to think about? That reveals a lot of what's going on in here, reveals what's beholding in your life. And another good marker for spiritual growth is the thoughts that no longer occur to you. Do you know it's possible in the yoke of Jesus living this shalom life that the kind of thought patterns you are struggling with now, do you know it's possible by the power of his spirit in the location of your everyday life with the engagement of spiritual practices that there are some thoughts that are no longer going to occur to you one day? How about that? Anybody ready for that? The thoughts that you're struggling with, you go, Jesus says, those thoughts don't even occur to me anymore. There's a marker for spiritual growth. When you start realizing, you know what? It's been a whole month since I had that thought from what he's gonna say in a minute is the old self or the old life. It doesn't even occur to you anymore. How does that happen? It's this posture right here. He's saying you set, the action is set your mind on things above. I get the impression Paul's saying, well, you have control over doing this. What you put your thoughts to. Set them on Things above. And then verse five, simultaneously put to death. See the action set. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. Notice past tense. Used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So here's the picture Paul's given you. There is a title for your life before you've come to know Jesus. It's called old self. Or other phrases might be fallen self, ego self, false self, sinful self, old self, old life. This is who you were before you met Christ. Think of it like a current in a river. For those of you who have gone tubing or canoeing, obviously not around Indiana, there's really no such thing here. The other times I've gone canoeing in Indiana, I have to carry the canoe most of the time. I don't understand that whole concept. But think of a, a real river with a real current, not the white river, but the current of the river, if you just picked up the oars of your canoe, you're going to go where the current goes. Before you met Jesus, your old self controlled the power of all that current. If you, you just drift along in life, this is why you don't have to learn how to be selfish. This is why you don't have to learn how to respond in an angry way. This is why you don't have to learn how to gossip. You don't have to learn how to worry. You don't have to learn how to be filled with anxiety. Do you know we come by that pretty naturally? Just live. And you'll have all those things struggling. That's the current of the river. You can thank Genesis 3, and when Adam and Eve fell into sin, and we adopted what the Bible calls a sinful nature. The current of the river of the human heart flows, Colossians 3, verse 5 and following, the old self. But here's the great news, and then you met Jesus, and you got yoked up with him, and new self trumps old self. This is a great message. This is where, he's the one who sticks the oars in the water and saying, hey, by the way, the current's still rolling along, lest you think the current just automatically changes. Have you figured this out? The current doesn't stop until this life ends and we're with him in glory. You know one of the greatest things about heaven? The current in the river, huh, over. When you wake up in glory, the first time you will have breathed curse-free air oh, I'm longing for that day. Anybody longing for that day? Some of you sat beside the bedside of a loved one recently who you know knows the Lord, and I wanna encourage you with this thought. They are breathing the kind of air where the current in the river no longer drifts them to the old self, no longer to lust and greed and pride and godlessness and selfishness. They don't battle that anymore. It's gone. They are breathing the kind of air that God always intended that we breathe which is, we're gonna to get to in a moment, the era of verse 12 and 14. That's, that's destiny-type language. And what Jesus offers us in this life is, hey, I'll stick some oars in your hands, power of the Spirit, location of your everyday life, spiritual practices are gonna stick the oars in the water, and we're gonna to row together and be able to press back against the current. So if you don't put any practice, spiritual practices in your life, you're gonna battle where the canoe's drifting all the time. He said, well, wait a minute, Eric. I thought I was born again. I thought I had the Holy Spirit living within me. I thought I'm a Christian. Here's the picture the Bible paints with a Christian life. When you become a Christian, you are given the Holy Spirit. And then you have an identity, new spirit, new hope, new name, new destiny. These are the new things. This is your identity. It's the language of, in, in a passage I didn't read in there, verse 4 and following, says, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's identity language. But if you haven't figured it out yet, I know in my life I'm astounded by the gap between my identity and my character. Like there's a gap between the kind of character we have and the responses and actions and attitudes and thoughts we have that don't always keep pace with the identity. Have you noticed this? Did you notice you're just not zapped with the fruit of the Spirit right out of the gate? Did you notice that you're not responding with the patience of Jesus one week after you gave your life to him? Does that mean you don't have the Holy Spirit? No, it means you have the Holy Spirit. It's your identity, hear this now, the process you're in called spiritual formation, called taking on the yoke of Jesus, shalom life, living the good life with this good God. That whole process, here's the picture. You're gonna become in character who you already are in identity. That's the discipleship process. That's what we're gonna do the rest of our lives. Think of it this way. Becoming who you already are. That's the invitation of Jesus. You come to Jesus, says I'll give you a new name, new spirit, new hope, new destiny, new grace, new power. I'll give you all of that and then the rest of the journey is now you're gonna become practically in the fabric of your life, will, mind, body and soul, you're going to become in character who you already are in identity. You're gonna Take off the old self. Notice the language. What's the language he's using? And put on the new self. Does that sound passive to anybody? Does that sound like you can just pray a prayer at summer camp at the altar and go, woo-hoo, can't wait to go to glory, and the rest of it's just cruise control? I hope this helps us understand why the Christian life is not cruise control. I get nothing cruise control from Paul to the church at Colossae. I get active engagement. I get direct effort involved. You know, it's, it's not earning. This isn't about earning your salvation. This is about working out your salvation. Effort and earning, these are two, we get these confused all the time. The gospel is earning, you don't earn your way, but effort is involved in the way. It's not a passive relationship. There's no relationship in our lives that you cultivate with any level of passivity if they're gonna have any strength to it, an intimacy to it. And that's the same thing with Jesus. And so Paul says, hey, here's, here's the deal, gang. Set your mind on things above. Your life's now hidden with Christ and God, identity language. And then take off this old self and put on this, stick the oars in the water and start rowing, the spiritual practices. Put some things in place and stick them in there and go because the current's gonna take you one way because you're gonna become in character who you already are in identity. It's the difference between an instantaneous and a progressive process of the Christian life. There's some aspects of following Jesus, instantaneous. Sin forgiven, adopted, redeemed, restored, instantaneous, instantaneous, right there. How glorious is that? Do You see, then based upon that grace and that love and that unbelievable gift, now it says, go live. It's not live to get the achievement of restoration and hope and freedom. and idea. You don't have to do a bunch of things to get all of that. I'll give you that on the front end, now live. Now, based upon that gift of grace and that unbelievable love and that yoke that I've just given you, now you're going to go become in your character who you already are by identity. Become who you already are. Verse 12, Paul adds to it this way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, there's identity language. Did you see that? Chosen people, holy and dearly loved. There's identity. You don't have to do anything to get that. Do you know God's face is always turned towards you in love? doesn't matter what you're doing. doesn't matter how far you've strayed into it, but how long you've strayed. Maybe it's the first time around church and it wasn't. You know what? God's face has always been turned towards you in love, no matter what you walked in here with. You turn towards back to him and his face is turned towards you in love. That's identity language. But that doesn't mean it's passive. You can just walk out the door and just go and do whatever I want to do with my life. No, look, the next part is, based upon that, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Has anybody ever discovered that once you come to know Jesus, it's not like it's just really super easy right out of the gate to forgive people who hurt you? Has anybody found that to be just really easy? It's not that easy to do. Yeah, yeah, that takes time, that takes practice. You gotta, you gotta work some things into the habits to get to the point where you, when someone offends you, you respond as Jesus responded. You don't have to learn how to respond as the old self would respond. We all come by that real natural when someone offends you and how you just let it fly. And that would be like the, the description he gave before, anger and greed and profanity and all that. We didn't let it fly, we didn't have to learn that, that just came out of us. But we wanna go Jesus way. I wanna live more like how Jesus would want me to live. I'd like to forgive those who let me down. I'd like to have more gentleness and compassion and humility. Clothe yourself, Simpson. Clothe yourself with this. And the kingpin with spiritual practices is to understand this key point in all of it. I put it in your notes, I think. The invitation to join Jesus in this is not about trying really, really hard. It's about training really wisely. It's not about trying harder, gang. Though effort is involved, we'll get in more of that in the weeks ahead. It's about training wisely. You can't try really, really hard to do Colossians 12 or 3, 12 to 14. If you do, you'll find out quickly it's not gonna work so well. You can't try really, really hard to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, any more than you can try really, really hard, take a flight to Paris, and then say, I'm gonna speak French. I'm just going to speak French. I'm going to France, so I'm going to go speak French. Though you haven't practiced at all any form of the French language before you land in Paris. But you think automatically if the plane lands in Paris, I'm going to speak French. When really what happens, you just speak English louder. <laughs> That's what you do when you travel internationally. For those of you who jet set all over the world, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just raise your voice and get English really loud. It's like they can't hear in another culture. It's you. The thought of just going to France and automatically speaking French in the, is the same concept that we struggle with in the Christian life is, well, I come to know Jesus, I should just act like him right out of the gate. The way you're gonna learn the French language is you're gonna put some practices in your life. You're gonna practice verbs and conversation partner and you're gonna put hours in. And then over the course of time, when you do go to France, a language might more freely flow out of you called French. Same thing with the ways of Jesus. You're gonna yoke yourself to him, you're gonna get to know him and become like him, learn to live with him, that's the invitation. And then you're gonna adopt a lifestyle of practices that he taught and modeled. And over the course of time, here's the amazing thing, by Holy Spirit, location of your everyday life and all of its circumstances, role of spiritual practices, all those things working together, you're, you actually can change. Is this not an amazing thought of the Christian? Jesus actually believes we can change. You can become the kind of person from which Jesus-like responses more freely flow out of us. I like that. Because when I study Jesus' life, I've never met anyone like him. He's amazing. Best leader in the history of the world. The wisdom, the grace, the love. I I just listen to Jesus' life and the gospel. I'd like to respond, I'd like to lead more that way. Well, it's a combination of Holy Spirit, everyday life and spiritual practices all working together. I remember the story of John Ortberg telling about Dallas Willard and he were doing a class together and at the end of the class, a young lady came up to Dallas, like many do, and kind of lined up to chat with him afterwards and John's just standing there listening to how Dallas responds to the questions because John says he learns a lot by just listening to Dallas Respond to people. And one young lady said, Dallas, thanks so much for all you said today. I just couldn't follow most of what you were saying today, which is a really encouraging thing at the end of a talk. I really couldn't follow it. But what I really came to this seminar for was, I just really want to grow spiritually. I came here because I want to grow spiritually. Could you just tell me before I leave here, what do you want, if you could say one thing to me about what I need to do to grow spiritually, John just kind of leaned over. He said, I want to hear what Dallas says on this one. He looked her in the eye with great grace and patience. He just said, young lady, when you leave here today, go and do the next right thing you know to do. Long pause. Many faces looking exactly like you're looking right now. That's how she was looking. And then he said, and then when you do that next thing, you know the right thing to do, do it again. And then he said, Quickly, you're going to find out you don't have the capacity, in and of yourself, to do the right thing every time. You're going to quickly find out you need some help, and so you call upon some help. First, you're going to call out to God. God, I need some help. This, the Holy Spirit's going to come and help you. He's going to indwell you and give you power and strength. And you're going to need some other people to help you. It's called like gathering together in a local church. And you're going to need some discipleship training. You're going to need the Bible to help you. You're going to need some training and mentorship. Do, go do the next right thing you know to do. That's how the Spirit. Don't make it any more complicated than that. I love that. That's, that's everyday life with Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Like, well, I'm not doing the next right thing I know to do. Do you see, there's all the ground for transformation. When you realize, oh, I didn't handle that the way Jesus wanted to handle. Don't just skip over that. Go, why didn't I handle that the way Jesus? What, is, what does the Lord want there? I need some help there. I maybe need to put in a spiritual practice that kind of helps me figure out how I can respond differently in the future. All those things. Do you see this? And when you look at Jesus' life, I put in your notes a list of some practices we see that flow out of his life and in the series ahead. So what we're starting next week is a whole series that this kind of springboards into it. Changed and changing is the series ahead and it's all based upon some of these things. What do you see in Jesus' life modeled there? You see things like what? You see solitude, you see scripture, you see fasting, you see prayer, all these things modeled in Jesus' life. And it flows out of his, he's like, so if Jesus had to, like if Jesus went after his baptism out into the desert and fasted for 40 days, well, it's a pretty good indication that somewhere along the way, gang, if we're gonna be yoked to Jesus, fasting is gonna be a part of this relationship. If he did it right after his baptism 40 days and it was an intense time for him, probably gonna be somewhere in there. How about solitude? How, you notice the pattern with Jesus? He would withdraw from the crowds and the noise and he would go off to these solitary places and he'd pray, solitude's gonna be some rhythm in this. He was always quoting from the Old Testament scrolls. Scripture's gonna have something in this. He's always praying and talking about the Father's heart and mind and his being in sync. All these things that Jesus was talking about. It's this picture of a pattern of transforming our readiness to do what is wrong into a readiness to do what is Right? That's how spiritual practices work. A readiness to do what is wrong. We don't need much training in that. We come out with a PhD on that. But what we need is some good help on readiness to do what is right. I choose Jesus. No better yoke than him. Everybody's gotta figure out to live from somebody. I choose him. He's got the way to the shalom life. And now the journey is gonna be, I wanna see how he lived his life and the kind of rhythms he had in his life, and I'm gonna adopt those rhythms in my life based upon life circumstances, season of life, all those things, and you work it together in what's called spiritual practices. So this picture of true companionship with Christ, you get to the place where you can't not respond like Jesus would want you to. That's when you know you've made some headway on the issue. When whatever, even James 1 circumstances, you hit dark night of the soul, and you know Holy Spirit, everyday life, and spiritual practices are working well together, when what comes out of you, you can't not respond as Jesus. That's true companionship with Christ. Gang, that's a learned journey. You don't flip a switch and get that. That's athletes running out on the field after hundreds and thousands of hours of practices and walkthroughs and weight training, and then they display it. That's the difference between on the spot and lifestyle of learning I close with this thought. I put it in your notes, I believe. Ruth Haley Barton, she said it this way. Many of us try to shove spiritual transformation into the nooks and crannies of life that is already unmanageable. Huh. Rather than being willing to arrange our life for what our heart most wants, we think that somehow we'll fall into transformation by accident. So here's a practice for the week. This week and each of the weeks ahead, we're gonna kind of work together some spiritual practice muscles. And this week, we're gonna put Colossians 3.2 to work together. So here's the assignment for the week. We're gonna take Psalm 23, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's it, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the practice is this. We're gonna do what Colossians 3.2 said. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The challenge is this. How many times this week can you and I set our minds on Psalm 23.1? How many times? Is it too much to think that we could actually do it once every hour for every waking hour? I think that's kind of a low bar. But at least start there. to say, hey, if I'm awake for 16 hours a day, 16 times a day can I set my mind on the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or maybe we need to stretch the muscle a little bit. How about every half hour? How about every 15 minutes? The picture you get in the scriptures is you actually, what Thomas Kelly says, you know your brain has a capacity to think about multiple things at one time? Ladies, you have a PhD in this. Guys, we need to think about this. We have, there is a capacity in here to think about more than one thing at once. It's called simultaneity, the ability for the brain to process multiple things at the same time. So moms, while maybe you're cooking mac and cheese this week, you know you can cook mac and cheese and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. While you're driving to soccer practice, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. While you're heading into that tough staff meeting and you're gonna have to lead through a tough decision, as you're walking into that conference room, you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. All week long. Let's see how many times we can do it. And then set up like text group for some of you and text each other this week. Like, how's that going? Anything happen? Pay attention to what happens. Or start like in your life group meetings this week, start talking about it. What's that like? How, has that affected anything? Like, have you noticed? Like, and by the way, when you wake up in the night, those of you who maybe struggle with some sleep patterns, when you wake up in the middle of the night, first thing, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. First thing in the morning, brushing your teeth, eating breakfast, driving to the next thing, Jet set into some meetings, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want all week long. Fair challenge? Let's see how many times we can do it. Some of you engineer types are already thinking about an app on your phone that you're gonna set up and go, ah, bah, 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 that's fine. Text me a screenshot this week and let me know how you're doing. Maybe we'll get somebody to triple digits. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because it's the kind of thing that people who follow Jesus do. So why would we do that? Because we actually believe his invitation is true. That we can take his yoke, we can learn to be with him and become like him and experience the kind of life that he taught and modeled. That actually is an invitation. That's not reserved for the clergy, for the super spiritual crowd. That's for everybody who wants to embrace it and enter into it. It's called the shalom life the life that I think deep down in the soul, it's the life we've all really been looking for. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the ways you have been leading us all through this series. Thank you for the invitation you've given us multiple times. Thank you that you are such a wise and strong and loving and generous God that you would make available to us a transformation. Lord, we don't take that lightly, that there's some things we're all struggling with at different places that today we can hear, that can be different. You could change. You can take off some old stuff and put on some new stuff by the power of the Spirit, right where you're at in the everyday circumstances. So would you meet us this week? Would you open our eyes in the series ahead as we look at some of these practices and we start talking about how to put them in place? Lord, would you help us become the kind of people from which a Christ-like response more freely and naturally flows? I just imagine marriages and families and office environments and sports teams and drama clubs. I'm just imagining what that would look like if hundreds of people were living that way. And the impact and the glory you would receive, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we're going to wrap up the final song here. Ushers are going to come. We're going to receive tithes, offerings, the communication card that you were handed on the way in. That's a way for you to stay in touch with us. So if you're not receiving regular communications from myself or the church, I send out a Friday email kind of letting you know what's going on over the weekend. And if you're not getting those, that means you're not in our email list, and if you'd like to be, just give us your email on there. There's a place for you to record prayer requests. If there's something going on, you just want people to be lifting up, put that in there. If you need responses about ministry stuff going on around here, maybe you're newer and you just wanna get more connected, that card is for you. And if you place it in the offering basket and then there's a connect table out in the atrium, it's a good way for you to find out a little more. And as the ushers are coming, go ahead and come on up, guys, and start the offering process. But many of you have been asking about, where do I go from here, like next steps? So some next steps on the soul care front, on the Shalom life front, is there's some life groups gonna be forming. And so if you go to the connect table, Pastor Brad's gonna be there. He'll have some other folks there and just let them know you're interested in maybe some specific group life connections. Women's group on Thursday night, uh, that meets here at the church. Ladies, that's open. They're doing some tangible next steps so it's a good place for you to get connected. So there's some tangible things you can do to just put into practice some of the things that we've been talking about here. Amen? All right, let's stand together. Team, lead us.